please do not swear, as they used to say on Big Brother. Actually, you can swear, thank, thanks to the fact that we're not regulated in any way, shape or form. Um, rather like GB. Uh, exactly. Yeah, indeed, exactly. absolutely. It's not like Ofcom. Yeah, no. Anyway. <laughs> we'll, get <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to Ofcom. Yeah, sure. Okay. Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Today we're talking about the state of news in Wales. Is it where it needs to be, serving audiences of all types and of all languages? Joining us, we have Gwenvair Griffith, journalist, documentary maker and author of The Story Vaur, a book discussing the challenges and triumphs of Wales's leading journalists when reporting on major stories. Hello, Gwenvair. Hello. We're also joined by Shirish Kulkarni, journalist, researcher and community organiser, News Innovation Research Fellow at Media Cymru and founder of Inclusive Journalism Cymru. Hello, Sharish. Hi, nice to be here. Fantastic. Thank you both very much for joining us. Gwenvair, um, could I ask you to tell us a little bit about your background uh, in relation to news and journalism in Wales? Yes, so um, I studied journalism in Canada at Ryerson University in Toronto. Um, and um, then I came back to Wales and started working at the BBC for BBC Radio Cymru um, and then uh, went on to work in television and was a video journalist and was an education correspondent for a while before I moved to Sydney and I freelanced there for ABC News and SBS News before returning to Wales and I've been working as a freelance journalist now for three years, I think, and um, I was privileged to lecture journalism at um, Joe Mech Cardiff University for a year as well. But now I'm working mostly making documentaries for BBC Radio Cymru and for West 40. And Shrish. Yeah, so I've been a journalist for 20, more than 25 years now. First editor 20 years at ITN and Sky in London before moving home to Wales. About 10 years ago, freelancing largely in the BBC and the network news team and largely doing investigations, I suppose the best known of which is uncovering the British Steel pension scandal. And then the last four years, I've been working for a little while at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism as a community organiser rather than as a journalist, building stories with communities from the ground up. But also on the other side of that, uh, supported by Cluster and now Media Cymru, been researching new forms of journalistic storytelling with the aim of making journalism more effective, engaging and inclusive. I'm going to start with a really easy question, um, and I don't know who would be most enthusiastic to pick this up, but I wonder if we could just kind of give a little bit of context. How would you read the world of journalism at the moment? We seem to be going through huge cultural, technological and in a way editorial changes in the way that we even perceive what journalism is. So from your point of view, would you consider journalism to be in a good place? I think journalism is, is in a very difficult place at the moment. Um, I think there's, there are lots of issues for journalism right now, issues of trust. Um, issues, the fact that there's a big rise in the number of people avoiding the news. So journalists have a bigger challenge um, in reaching audiences. People have changed their viewing habits and they're moving towards online platforms. That leaves a, a big challenge for journalists. Um, we have to adapt um, and change. And um, Sharish, I know this is something that Sharish knows a lot about because he, he's written about um, how we need to change the way we tell our stories in order to grab people's attention and retain their attention and explain what's happening more because people don't know as much maybe and don't have as much knowledge about what's going on around them. And um, that means that journalists need to do more to explain what's happening in, in everybody's world. So I think those are two things that I think that are really hurting journalism right now, trust and um, the fact that people are avoiding news and moving to new platforms and that journalism hasn't quite caught up yet with the, with the changes in society. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that. And I think in a way, all of those things are a result of the kind of cultural and technological things that are happening at the same time. So when I was growing up, there were three TV channels and there were newspapers and that was kind of it. And uh, 
you know, public service radio, basically. We're town crimes? No, 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 not much. <laughs> <laughs> I am very much the oldest person here. Yeah. Um, but actually, what we've seen, and this is only going to get significantly exponentially worse, is a growth in content and no significant growth in the availability of time available to us to consume that content. So you get a massive fracturing of the media landscape. And as you say, we then get into difficulties of kind of engaging people with trustworthy uh, journalism. And of course, that is only going to get worse because with generative AI, the content is going to expand exponentially and all those problems are going to get much more difficult to deal with. And I think in terms of, you know, journalism producers, just producing news content is not going to be a marketable skill in two years, let alone five years or 10 years. We are going to have to do something different because, frankly, you'll be able to get everything you want, what we currently regard as news, in search delivered by generative AI. People won't need to go to news websites or to TV bulletins. And so actually we're at a massive inflection point, but that is just an extension of what's been happening the last 20 years. That question of defining what news is currently and what news will be in the future seems to be at the core of a lot of these things. And I know that we'll probably circle back to the question of regulation a little bit further in the conversation. But one of the things that strikes me is that when we talk about what what a journalist is these days or what news is in 2023, it's certainly not, as, as you were sort of alluding to there, Sharish, not what it was in the past. And things always change over time, but it feels like we're sort of there's a real tectonic shift in terms of what what is news these days. We, in fact, we were talking just a little while ago before we started recording about are you know people who are citizen journalists journalists. And what is a what is the role of a journalist in in this current period? I mean, what is what is it to be a journalist? I mean, I think there's a couple of big questions in there. So the first is what is news and is it valuable so actually i don't use news very much when i talk about my work because lots of what we currently consider news has zero value and to give you an example of that i a couple of months ago maybe three or four months ago but you get this every day the top story on all the wales websites was a crash on the m4 in which one person had died now that is tragic but when you step back and think, what value does that individual event have as news to anyone else in the world? It has zero value. It is just an event at a point in time, essentially a random event, and actually doesn't help me or anyone else I know navigate the world, know our place in the world kind of learn lessons for the future, unless it's a systemic thing, you know, unless there have been five crashes at the same point within a week. And actually it's that, but it's that, it's that kind of story, which is exactly what, as Gwen Fire described it, is putting it, putting people off the news because there's a negative effect on their mental well-being. It has a negative effect on a negative affect on them. And so actually thinking about whether news is the thing or information needs are the thing we need to be serving is really important, I think. And I'm just starting a big project with BBC on thinking about new ways of storytelling and how we can solve some of these problems we've described. And I'm thinking of as what would we invent if journalism didn't exist? Going completely back to scratch and saying, if we wanted to meet the information needs of everyone, not just a small demographic of people, how would we tell those stories and what stories would we tell? And they would be very different. Both of those things would be very different from what we're currently doing in mainstream journalism. And what you were asking about what, what is a journalist is, is, is really interesting because I think um, we've got a lot of examples of citizen journalists for example, there were many reporting on what was happening in Ukraine, and that, that really gave us an insight into what was happening. They were on the ground, they were in places where journalists, mainstream journalists, couldn't go. But I think people need to be educated about exactly what is a journalist, because citizen journalist is different from 
uh, a journalist who, who's been trained or who works for an organization who will balance the news and maybe put it into more context. Um, and both can be useful, but you need to know what you're looking at and you need to understand what it is. I, I've In my work, I've come across people who maybe don't understand what journalism is and they don't want to take part in it because they don't understand it. Um, when you're trying to do a balanced report and you need somebody else's opinion and people think, well, I just want you to put the story from my perspective and maybe they'll rethink whether they want to take part, um, even though you, you were going to uh, treat everyone uh, with respect um, and the dignity that they deserve, but they maybe don't have faith or they maybe are used to a different kind of journalism where you would only put across one standpoint. Um, and I think that's a problem in journalism as well. I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I think that all relies on thinking that journalists, through having some training, are what we might call in the old objective and are balanced and don't have an agenda. And I think journalists like to pretend that, but actually, if you look at if you look at Wales and you look at broadcasters or newspapers, when if you had, for instance, a person of colour talking regularly about politics on news programmes, or unless they're a minister and you know, and and there is only one of those. Oh, when have you had disabled people talking about these things regularly. So actually, because we have a very narrow demographic of journalists, ultimately, we actually end up getting a narrow range of views represented. Like in London, I call it the Ealing problem, because there's a disproportionate number of people who make television news who live in Ealing, and they end up making news by the people of Ealing for the people of Ealing, but it ends up being national news in Cardiff. It's the Poncana problem. And we all know about that. And in Sweden, someone's done the research. They're actually, they've done a paper on this, which I found that pretty much 80% of the journalists in Sweden live in Stockholm, and 80% of those live in one suburb, Södermalm. And that happens all over the world. And we get the journalism which comes out of that. And I think in some ways it's worse in Wales because journalists are largely rubbing shoulders on the school run, et cetera, with politicians, with people in power. And then actually the, the willingness to challenge does frankly drop off. I've seen it with my own eyes. Yeah, I think you've got a really good point there, Shirish. Um, and I really think that we need to have more diversity in newsrooms um, across the board. I've worked in the BBC newsroom and the ITV newsroom. Um, and um, I think I think things are slowly improving, but they need to improve faster. Yeah, so specifically in Wales as well. And I think that there, we have the, a, a peculiar um, balance of issues in Wales. We, we you know, famously do not have a national press in either language. We're the only part of the United Kingdom that is truly bilingual in terms of its apparatus of state and um, sort of more widely culturally bilingual on a national level, regional complexities aside, than any of the other home nations. Um, and we also have an over-reliance on public service broadcasters to provide us with news. You know, I wonder what whether your interpretation of whether journalism is in a good place or not might depend or might be better or worse if you think about Wales as the territory rather than the UK or Europe or wider. Oh, uh, well, I mean, for me, I'm, I suppose I'm realistic. And so I, don't, I never sugarcoat this stuff. And actually, I would say, you know, I've worked, you know, at kind of a UK and international level and in Wales. And I would say, you know, I'd say on a lot of the questions we're discussing, Wales is further behind England or you know, the UK level on issues like diversity, but also issues of kind of, I suppose, a future focus, thinking about what the future of journalism looks like. I was on the expert panel on devolution of broadcasting and communications, and I was just looking back at it this afternoon, and just again and again, it's people, the broadcasters, the newspapers, uh, they want to kind of, 
they're nervous of any change. The status quo is what they feel comfortable in. But given all those big kind of existential issues we discussed right at the beginning, the status quo cannot be a way forward. It's not going to cut it. You know, it's only innovation. It's only inclusion that are going to get us out of this, this mess. And I think in Wales, we're quite a long way behind. Even the rest of the UK, which is not in a good place on those big existential issues. I think that part of the problem is that we need to start thinking about it earlier. I know that Cardiff University, um, for example, and I know other universities too, they want to reach uh, more students from different backgrounds. But, you know, if they haven't thought of it, if they haven't applied to, to go to, to university or to study this course, it's hard. I think that you have to start earlier and encourage children from diverse backgrounds and make sure that they have the opportunities that other children are given as well. Also, workplaces need to change and they need to think about how they can implement new um, atmospheres where, where people from various backgrounds feel comfortable. I've talked about this with Muslims, for example, who feel that they wouldn't be comfortable working in a newsroom where people maybe socialise, go out for a drink. Um, and it's not even just socialising, it's part of the culture of work as well. Um, and it means that they feel there's a barrier. And there are other examples as well that means that they, they feel that maybe that they, they won't belong um, in a workplace. Um, so there are lots of things that we need to change in newsrooms across the country. It's deeper than that, though, as well, isn't it? Because it's, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about business models as we, we go on. But essentially, the business model of a lot of journalism is to harm and attack marginalized communities. And then to say, oh, if you're subject to lots of Islamophobic coverage in the newspapers, if you're su subject to lots of transphobic coverage across the media, come and work in the media. It doesn't work, does it? It's not rational. It's not going to work like that. It's just a simple thing. And that's, again, around the business model of, of journalism, it's that systemic stuff that is really driving all these problems. To pull the thread a little bit on that business model question, I mean, it was I quite like the idea of Wales having multiple newsrooms, but we are in a position where the actual business of journalism in Wales is contracting in terms of you know, commercial revenue, in terms of outside of the public service broadcasters. We've seen contractions of offices of all of the major print um, newspapers in Wales, um, and the transition to digital has been uh, mixed. The, the big player reach adopted a advertising-based web model which prioritizes certain types of stories over others and frankly uh, from my own experience does make reading um, some of the articles a bit of a challenge in and of itself and in terms of where the future of journalism is going in Wales are we in a position where we feel reasonably confident that there will be a commercial industry hopefully the public service broadcasters will continue um, in the similar vein to they are now in terms of the numbers of staff, the headcount that they have. But there are relatively few new players in journalism in Wales in, in terms of organisationally. We have the Cardiffili Observer, which has done reasonably well in South East Wales. We had The National briefly, um, and we have Nation.Cymru, which seems to have grown quite considerably from where it started, but is still you know, relatively small in terms of headcount. Um, wh where does the future go in terms of the business of journalism in Wales? Every outlet you've described there relies, and I'm doing kind of finger inverted commas, on a programmatic advertising business model. At the same time, everyone accepts their programmatic advertising business model has collapsed. So how are those two things? happening at the same time? We accept that the model doesn't work, but yet that's all we have. And so I think it needs kind of, yeah, imagination and innovation to think, well, how can we do things differently? Because this is possible. We've seen the success of things like the Manchester Mill, Greater Govan Hill in Scotland, the Bristol Cable, doing other models. And again, what happens at a systemic level is if you rely on a programmatic advertising business model, that defines what your content is. So, for instance, in Wales, you get a lot of, we'll just do a story about when a celebrity has said something A positive or B negative about Wales. 
that will get clicks. That fulfills our programmatic advertising business model to some extent. But is it the kind of journalism that we want and need? Or is it just fostering a kind of victimhood of Wales or a kind of, you know, a, a vision of Wales, which is in kind of opposition to everything else? But what other journalism does it fulfill? You know, we have the big players doing court coverage, crime coverage, which I have a bit of an issue with anyway. And they pretend that is about shining a light on the criminal justice system. But then when they share it, it, it the headlines are, recognise any of these. Yeah, let's, let's not pretend, do what you want for a programmatic advertising business model, but don't pretend it's anything other than what it is. And like I say, it is possible to be successful using other business models. People in the rest of the UK are doing it very successfully, but no one in Wales is doing that. And I get it's difficult by carrying on doing the same things and expecting different answers. We're never going to get anywhere. I, I think Sharish touched on something that um, I, I'm really worried about, the, the way journalism is going, um, the way we quantify success in journalism now is something that's really worrying. Um, the fact that we need the clicks, that we need the engagement on social media, um, this is what drives journalism. And I think that that's something that's worrying in print and news, newspapers as well, because obviously they've moved online. And this, this is what makes people, you know, people make decisions about what they cover through this. And some of the more important stuff that we need to know aren't being said um, and, and that's something that I worry about a lot. And it's probably worth saying on that as well, that that weirdly, although the BBC has a completely different business model, it's licence fee funding, it uses exactly the same metrics as essentially what our content farms largely. That's essentially what outlets working on a programmatic selling business model are, because it feels like it's in competition with the Guardian, the Mail, the Mirror, or ITV News, and arguably it isn't. And what you get from dashboards in newsrooms is some data on what people who are engaging with the news are clicking on. You get zero data on what people who aren't engaging with the news want and need. And that's where we're missing out. You know, there's data from the Reuters Institute uh, Digital News Report this year, which says that essentially 50% of the population aren't engaging with news journalism. And that has massive negative impact at a societal level for just the healthy functioning of societies. Now, I never thought I'd say this, Wiz, but I'm going to try and make an argument in defence of clickbait. Um, I'm just <laughs> strap in for this one, because this, might, this <laughs> might be a bit... Rum I'm, uh, bum I'm bum interested. Bum. Well, I, all I was going to supposit, and we've talked about this very subject on the pod before with uh, friends from Wales Online, and also Marshall, who helped produce The National, in that it's very easy to think about journalism in an almost kind of holy sense. Um, but there is a degree to which there has always been a commercial imperative to sensationalize to certain stories or to bring people in to buy, pick up the paper with the headline um, that is most uh, enticing um, and get that transaction done in order to subsidize all of the work of a particular news organization from what would be in the contemporary sense listicles to various things to genuine um, investigative reporting or to solid you know, scrutiny of a particular subject. And is, is that just something that we should accept as part of the overall business model? And, you know, it's, everything is about balance, but that, that has a place that is perfectly justifiable in the broader picture. I think I think you've got a point, because I think especially if you're creating online content and if you are trying to change the algorithms and make people want to come to your content. Um, I think creating fun stuff as well as the more informative stuff is the way to go really, because if you make something that's um, widely shared, maybe the next item you create, the um, next piece of content you, you create might be more useful or more informative and, and more people will see it. So yes, definitely there is a place for more fun stuff and uh, yeah, content that make people smile or that they just have fun with. And then you can also create the more useful, informative journalism as well. I mean, I see I see your, your point, but in a way, 
where we are is different from when that worked because if you think about it, newspaper, when we just had newspapers, they were bundles, right? They didn't just have news. They had sport, they had music, they had lifestyle, they had a bunch of other stuff. That's why you bought it. You know, when you buy the Sunday Times, you literally get a bundle that you can't get under your arm. But that's what you're paying for. You're not just paying for the news. And arguably, the digital news company, which has done the best in the last few years, has done exactly that. The New York Times makes a lot of money from crosswords. Essentially, they're not relying on their, their journalism to do that. But actually, that doesn't work the same with something like Wales Online, for example. You Actually, that you need to think about doing a different business model because essentially they're trying to do that, the entertainment or the clickbait, with the journalism rather than thinking, oh, we'll do some crosswords or whatever and get the clicks from that. So you're driving the journalism in the wrong way by applying the business model to arguably the wrong thing. Yes, I think my, my experience is on TikTok, um, where you're trying to reach a younger audience. I really dislike the idea of creating content to manipulate algorithms, but I think that's where that's where we are with TikTok, I think. And if we want to reach more younger people, I think you do need to make news for TikTok. And it is a medium where we have to experiment in, um, in journalism. And I think that process has already started but from what i've seen a mixture of content does work i think it's interesting as well when we talk about young people like i think there's these things in the ether that young people are big news avoiders and you know this is the problem and and it's just not true because if you look at the reuters institute digital news report from this year 34 percent of 18 to 25s i think the youngest, the kind of that age group, uh, sometimes or often avoiding news. That is the lowest percentage of any age group. And it's actually the kind of sort of mid 30s to mid 40s who are avoiding news the most. And of course, if you say to young people, are you interested in the world, your place in it, and want to un understand it, they never say no. So actually it's a failure of the journalism, not that, you know, they haven't got an attention span or they're not interested or whatever. This is a product level problem. And I think I don't even like describing it as news avoidance because I think people are looking for journalism to fulfill a sense-making role. And they look at the journalism which exists in the world. And because of those clickbait issues we've described because of the business model, they think, oh, actually, the journalism isn't doing that sense-making for me, so I'm not going to consume it in the same way as you wouldn't consume, as we wouldn't buy soap powder that didn't wash your clothes. It's the product that's wrong. It's not the people. You know, people make rational decisions, largely, and they're looking at the product and saying, that doesn't do that job, sense-making, which I want journalism to do for me. But I think what you were... Um, alluding to earlier about the fact that in the past people would buy a paper and they would read they would have the opportunity to read everything but now people will click on something that interests them and they will only get that story and um and I think that algorithms do affect what people see and that will affect what people click on and people are being fed stuff that the algorithms think that they will be interested in and they're not getting a comprehensive outlook on what's happening around them and I think that is an issue as well. Algorithms, editors, are they the same thing or are they not? I think actually what opens up in the future is actually much more personalised, but through pers direct personal choice forms of storytelling. One of the problems with journalism is where other industries are talking about Web3 and how they take advantage of Web3, Journalism hasn't got to Web 2 yet. Essentially, what we call digital journalism is newspaper articles online. That's all we're getting right now. And there are far more storytelling techniques available to us now. And there will be far more storytelling techniques available in the future. And one of those which I've been exploring is something called modular journalism, where you can 
move away from the 600 word inverted pyramid article, which is supposed to meet the needs of everyone in the world. And actually you say, let's break up this story or this theme or this topic, because it doesn't have to be an individual story. It can be a more contextualized, longitudinal theme. You break it up into atoms of journalism, essentially paragraphs of journalism, which can then be combined and recombined in many different ways, depending upon the time of day, where you are, how much context you want, whether you want things which are much more localised to you. And so all those things are possible now and become very possible in the next two to five years. So again, it's thinking about, rather than thinking in the context of what journalism has always been, we need to start thinking in the context of what journalism can be. And I don't think you know having an editor is any better than having an algorithm, frankly. That is something quite exciting. I think I remember being really excited the first time I saw um, a carousel. Um, uh, and basically, it was an article written in an Instagram carousel. So, you know, you go, you go from picture to picture and you realise, oh, my gosh, I, I've understood the whole story there. And it was fantastic. And it can be done really well where you don't realise that you're con consuming a new story. Um, and I think it's a new way of writing an article, which is quite visual and also simple yeah it was exhilarating to see the first one i remember but i've seen lots of them since then and some people do them really well and some people overwrite i think it's challenging sometimes when you're trying to make journalism in welsh and because sometimes they try to make it bilingual and there's way too many words um and it's quite hard to read and um so yeah you can obviously mess it up but when it's done well it's done it's it's really effective Talking of you know, language as well, the brilliant thing which modular journalism and in fact AI open up is you know, the BBC could do domestic stories in multiple languages. So they could do them in Arabic. They could do them in Hindi, right? Because I, you know, I think of my dad. My dad is really interested in news. Would he rather read the news in the UK in Marathi or in English? probably Marathi, but we can do that now. We could provide that value for all to everyone through modular journalism, because you're breaking the stories up, they become much easier to translate. All those things become possible, because at some point, the UK is going to have to understand that it's not just white indigenous people, we are monocultural. Um, and, you know, if you look at you know, the news we get, it is still produced for a very narrow demographic of people by a very narrow demographic of people. And if we want to kind of, yeah, make the most of the potential business models which are available, then we have to be able to engage everyone, not just a kind of tiny proportion of the population. And I think that's exactly very nice to hear a... Um... A strong cause for hope, actually, in terms of the way things are going. It's, it certainly is not all clacks and bad news uh, for the news industry. I'm, I'm very happy to say. You touched, you mentioned language there, and I think what language is a particularly important question here in Wales. One of the things that I've always observed about provision of journalism and news in in the medium of Welsh is that it has a very much more confident and outward-looking worldview in many ways than the Welsh news that we receive in English, um, which is much more of a sort of regionalist kind of interior facing news. And I wonder if that is something that we might see change as the technology changes and it becomes easier perhaps to promote and publish news, or is that something that we run the risk of losing as the public service broadcasters and funding for public news continues to be under heavy pressure. I think that Welsh speakers get a great service from um, the BBC uh, because we get news, international news, from a Welsh perspective. And I think that it's something that I've always um, welcomed and, and treasured because it helps put international stories into context. So I think, yes, it is something that's, that's sad that the, the non-Welsh speakers don't get the same service um, because it because it's a more British view rather than a Welsh view when we see the main news um, 
from the BBC and from ITV as well and and, and Channel 4 and the main main broadcasters. Um, but I, I don't see that changing anytime soon because, you know, foreign news is quite expensive and sending people abroad does cost a lot of money. Yeah, and... I mean, on the English-speaking side, as Gwendolyn explains, it's it's a sort of inferiority complex, but in a way that's rational because I've been in morning meetings in Sky News or ITN or the BBC, and if you bring up a story about or from Wales, you just see the chorus of eye rolls go around the newsroom. And for all the big talk that you get in public about bringing in, you know, different voices from across the nations and regions. That's just not the interest, because, again, it's a narrow demographic. You know, Wales is like a, it's a foreign country, too. And they don't regard it as important in discussions about even the UK, let alone internationally. So, you know, if we have an inferiority complex, it's like, or we, we feel maligned, let's put it that way, then that's correct because we are maligned by those news organisations and ill understood and overlooked. Okay, that we went from positivity to uh, <laughs> not positivity really quickly in that particular one. I, um, <laughs> I, I mentioned this when we were prepping some ideas for this, and um, I was trying to think about a way that we could look at Wales and the state of news and journalism in Wales and uh, I thought it would be interesting to think of it like a patient, uh, like a patient coming in for the medical in terms of would we think about the patient being in good health or bad health and if there are problems with them are there things that we could recommend um, and as I've already had to explain this to you several times over email because I'm so bad at communicating Sharish, mm -hmm. I wonder if I could throw this one to you first and see if you have any observations. Well I think in a way it is a good analogy because it's really how, I mean, it, it really applies to kind of how the health system works in, in Wales, that actually we have chronic problems, a series of chronic problems, but we stumble along between one acute problem to the next, only dealing with the acute problems and never addressing the chronic problems. So the chronic problems are the business model that outlets in Wales rely on a programmatic advertising business model, which has failed and is failing them, and which everyone knows is failing. But yet we don't do anything about that. We have a massive problem of diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging. We don't represent the full richness of Wales both internally or externally, and those two things are clearly linked. We don't do anything substantive to address that chronic problem. Again, there's lots of big talk. There's very little substantive action. And we ha do not have a future focus. We are kind of mired in the past, frankly, and don't want to take those big leaps of imagination to think about what could the journalism industry in Wales look like in five years' time, 10 years' time, 20, 20 years' time, and take start taking the steps to get us to those places. We're just stumbling to the next kind of A&E appointment, essentially, without having the big operation that's going to kind of put us in good health for the next 20 years. Yes, if we're, if we're um, talking, you know, comparing journalism to a patient and the NHS, maybe we'd say that it was underfunded like the NHS, yet it's not devolved like the NHS is, <laughs> is isn't it? But I think I'd say too that journalism is widely ignored as well. Um, I think there are lots of good work being done and that's, People aren't tuning in to watch, especially Welsh medium journalism as well, I think. Um, also, maybe I could add that maybe there's not enough specialists and um, not enough investigations being done. Um, investigative journalism, there's not enough of it in Wales. But also, I think people maybe don't want investigative journalism either, which is a problem. Um, just like people maybe aren't looking after their health as well as they should be in Wales either. But I think, obviously, there are lots of 
lots of issues with journalism in Wales, but there are lots. The positive thing is there are lots of like there are amazing doctors in the NHS. There are amazing journalists doing really hard work in this in the difficult circumstances in Wales as well. I'm glad that there are op opportunities to celebrate their work in things like the Wales Media Awards, and some people have different views and say that awards aren't as important. But I think it is important to celebrate journalists' work because there are good examples out there in the midst of um, all the problems with journalism today. And I think to pick up on Gwenvar's well, very well-made point, you know, if we compare journalism with the NHS, we get down to a key question, don't we? Which is whether journalism is a public good or not, and whether we think we should define it as a nation, as a public good, because I would argue it is, because it contributes, you know, it's a fundamental part of a healthy society. But what that means is what comes with public goods is ideally public funding and how we manage that. And to go back to the point about this kind of acute and chronic problems, I don't think that public money should be used to fund journalism directly. I do think it should be used to fund the structural conditions to make good journalism possible. So that might be, for instance, training in product and design thinking around business models and how we can meet the needs of wide range of audiences, which we don't have a lot of skills and experience in, in Wales. It might be you know, exploring the landscape in Wales and mapping the landscape in Wales properly so that we're making policy decisions on the basis of data rather than vibes, which is largely how a lot of decisions are made. But I do have concerns about, you know, if we are going to fund journalism, funding journalism directly, because then you get all the problems, you know, the, the kind, of, kind of reasonably held concerns about political influence. Mm. Yes, and, and, you know, the key similarity between journalism and the NHS is that people want it free at the point of use, um, uh, which is a, a massive issue when it comes to the question is often about funding rather than a commercial transaction. You mentioned there, uh, Sharish, about the, the structures behind journalism. You, as you mentioned earlier, have been on the Welsh Government's expert panel on public interest journalism and also the expert panel on the creation of a shadow broadcasting authority for Wales, both of which have covered similar territory. Over the course of those discussions and the two subsequent reports that came out of those expert panels, uh, how would you evaluate the direction of travel for Welsh Government in terms of addressing some of these questions and the, I guess, the wider sector across the Union, you know, the UK Government and UK-wide uh, or at least England and Wales wide news organisations. What lessons did you learn and what do you think it might change here in Wales as a result of the, that work? Well, some of that is TBC because we will see the Welsh Government's response, the substantive responses really, I guess, to the, the expert panel report and the report from the Public Interest Journalism Working Group. But, I mean, you'll see at a UK level that having a healthy journalism sector is not it's not in the interests of the UK government as far as their actions are uh, would would have it they are taking actions to kind of yeah well I mean there's no action really to support good public interest journalism coming from UK government so it is positive that Welsh government has engaged by setting up both uh, public interest journalism working groups. So accepting, I think, the importance and value of public interest journalism. And in a way, it follows from that, that you then have to explore whether broadcasting communications and journalism, as we eventually put in the report, should be devolved or should come under an authority that is going to look at these issues in a strategic way that is going to support journalism broadcasting communications in Wales for the next 5, 10, 20 years, because we keep coming back to this is a massive turning point. And if we don't have some kind of strategic kind of approach to this, where we're thinking very seriously about the cultural, technical and editorial changes that are going on, then we are going to 
just I mean the mess we're in right now is going to get worse we're never going to get out of it so I think I am positive that the Welsh government has engaged with these I've been a bit concerned about the lack of a substantive response to both of those reports as of yet but we will see indeed and the UK government is indeed legislating in a similar area with the media bill at the moment you don't necessarily feel that they are addressing this area with any urgency because there was evidence from uh, UK uh, wide regulators and such at the um, the Shadow Broadcasting Authority expert panel. Uh, do you not have confidence the UK state is going to make any progress in this field either, Wales being obviously just a constituent part of that? Right now, no. Under the current government, I don't think so. Um, I don't see even any conversations that make me feel positive about the future of policy around public interest journalism in, in at a UK-wide level right now. There's a lot of tinkering at the edges and largely kind of muddle-headed tinkering at the edges of regulation, I think, to meet various kind of political aims at whatever day of the week it is uh, right now. Um, and like I say, that that is not how we're going to address these problems. We need to have a kind of a long term view, which is consistent. And, you know, who knows, we may have a new UK government in the next year or so. So that might be different. But right now, I don't have a lot of positive hope for that. Picking up on some of the key stories that have come out of Wales of recent, one of them, uh, as many people will know, will be the removal of GB News from the Senedd internal television system. Um, and that essentially came as a response by the Llywydd to a question of regulation. And regulation is certainly a question that came up uh, in that expert panel, Sharish. Is that something that you feel is functioning well uh, or functioning suboptimally uh, in terms of news regulation in, in Wales and the UK at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's functioning very, very badly, you know, because I don't want to comment on the internal politics of the Senate, but essentially the justification for GB News is that it's regulated by Ofcom, it adheres to those regulations in principle, and therefore it should just have just as much right to be on the Senate's TV system as any other organisation. And I think the failure here is essentially Ofcom's failure because we all knew what GB News was going to be when it started. They were very clear what it was going to be and the regulation just hasn't kept up with it. Actually, the regulation exists. It's the regulator is not acting on that regulation in a way that many people, me included, see as appropriate to that that system and we've come back to the kind of expert panel the devolution of broadcasting communications this was a clearly a key issue which came up because if you have a regulator which is failing or you know, according to many people as i say including me i'm happy to say say that then actually you have to think Actually, is that regulator meeting the needs of everyone in the UK? Does it consider Wales in the way it should do? Does it consider people of colour in the way it should Does it consider women in the way it should do? When you talk about the kinds of things we've seen on GB News over the last few months. And, you know, I just don't think GB News is a good faith organisation. And like I say, it was very clear what it was going to be, and the regulation or the regulators haven't kept up with that. And you know, if it's not going to do its job, then it's only going to increase the pressure for a regulator in Wales and therefore devolution of broadcasting communications to Wales. Well, I checked Ofcom's pages today and GB News has been found to be in breach of due impartiality rules again today, and it had already been found to breach impartiality rules three times since its launch in 2021. Um, and it's obviously there are a number of problems with the broadcaster. There have been since its inception, really. And I think that the, the Senate's decision reflected that. And, and I suppose, you know, in a way that 
shows the, the problem with the way the regulation is being applied because you can be found guilty and essentially have no meaningful sanction and you carry on doing pretty much exactly the same thing over and over again. And where does that end? We either have regulation or we don't. And at the moment, we're in a kind of middle ground where we do, but it has no power and no effect. I'm sure the Tories might um, argue that, you know, the BBC has been found to be in breach of impartiality rules as well. Um, and obviously there have been problems with the BBC as well. So I guess that's the, the, that would be their argument. There are a number of problems with the BBC as well, which makes it difficult to argue sometimes when you think about some of the problems that the BBC has faced. And and as things are, it's it's a very difficult context for journalists to operate anyway. We, we were talking about this just before we started recording, Gwenvire, about the potential for journalists to find themselves in the middle of stories, sometimes you know, becoming the subject of the stories themselves. And we were talking about the story in Llanelli where we've seen journalists actually become on the receiving end of, uh, as part of their reporting on a story, as if they are somehow responsible for the story's existence in the first place. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the, the experience that some of the BBC journalists have had in terms of reporting on the recent um, uh, attempt to house uh, asylum seekers in Llanelli. Yes, well, I was talking to um, a, a former colleague recently and he mentioned um, that the atmosphere during a protest outside the um, the hotel was awful and that journalists, there were lots of crews of journalists and um, they were subjected to abuse by the, the protesters, calling them all sorts of names. And um, uh, because they were from the BBC, were abused even more and called paedophiles and mentioning Jimmy Savile and all sorts, um, which makes it really difficult to report. But I think it's it's part of cancel culture and it's happening in Wales. And I've seen it in my own work, something that I mentioned earlier, you know, when people, when you're trying to cover a story and it's difficult to persuade people to talk to you, they want to know who, well, they're allowed to know who else is in, in the programme. And if they find out that there's somebody who has a different view, they, they won't take part. It's it's really difficult sometimes because there are lots of moral decisions to be made when you're doing items about extremism or including extremists. Do you give them a platform? Do you not? Who is allowed to have a voice? Who is not? And if you don't include people who have an extreme view, they're going to be broadcasting their view on their own platforms anyway. So there's an argument that you can't ignore them because they, they can create their own following anyway. So there are lots of moral dilemmas when you're thinking about covering certain stories in Wales. How do you go about it? Who do you talk to? Who do you not? Who will take part in your reporting as well? Also, if you report on a certain subject or on certain people, do you expose yourself as a journalist to more abuse online and in person? And it's something that journalists have to think about. Do you have any thoughts to pick that up, uh, Shirish? Obviously, I have concerns about, you know, some of the structural issues around journalism. But clearly, journalists are doing incredible work and very brave work. You know, I've had it myself. You know, I've done... Um, stories around radicalization of young people by the far right and have had threats delivered to the door because I'm a freelancer, my name was out there. Even around the British Steel Pension scandal, I've had threats with people saying they knew where I lived and so on. So, you know, that's that's really tough, but it shows how important the work is as well because these are important things that need to have a light shone on them. And, you know, that's why I think it's really important that we support journalism, you know, at that structural level. I'm not, I don't care about saving the industry for the sake of the industry. I care about saving journalism for the sake of society. But, uh, you know, I, do, I became a journalist because I wanted to make the world a better place. I believe that when I was 18 years old, I believe that at 52. Naive, maybe, but <laughs> I'll have that on my headstone. Of course, one of the problems that we have in uh, the UK at the moment is that funding for uh, journalism is largely being seen as something that can be cut. And we have seen an announcement recently about a pretty serious cut to the flagship news show, Newsnight, uh, on the BBC. And in a context where, um, as the Senate 
Culture Committee has recently reported that uh, I've seen via Nation Cymru that the knowledge of uh, that people in Wales have about who runs Wales is incredibly poor, with many of them thinking that uh, that members of the Welsh Conservative group are in government, which I'm sure our previous podcast guest Sam Rowlands would uh, quite like to have had, but it is not the case. Um, it, in this culture where people already have relatively little knowledge about politics, for we are a politics podcast, what could be the potential impact of further cuts to shows like Newsnight? Is that something that would only really affect those who are engaged to talk about what you were talking about earlier, Sharish? And is it those people that will moan or is it a public good that should be funded no matter what, uh, you know, in terms of keeping these kinds of shows, even if the viewership of them is not massive? With all these things, I suppose the question is, you know, we'd love to have everything, right? But we can't have everything. And talking about systemic stuff, this is a result of essentially cuts to the licence fee, which have been imposed by the current UK government. So something has to give. And I suppose with, with whether it's Newsnight or whether it's Wales Online, the question I would always ask is, what are you providing that's distinctive? And actually, is Newsnight providing something massively distinctive from, for example, Channel 4 News that justifies that having £30 million, rather than, for instance, £30 million being spent on getting news to the 50%, roughly, of the population who aren't engaging with news? Because the truth is that people who are engaging with Newsnight are getting the news they need from elsewhere. They are super served. Lots of people, well, I say lots of people, a a minority of people are super served by journalism, which meets their needs. Almost 50% of the population are not getting any journalism, which meets their needs. So in a world where we can't have everything, I'd always ask, what are you doing that's distinctive? What's the problem you're solving? What's the solution you're providing? If Newsnight can answer those questions, great. If it can't, then actually, yeah, there are other things that might be done with that money. But that is all in a context of massive cuts to the BBC, which are, as I say, the, the systemic thing, which we need to address rather than dealing with, I suppose, the kind of emergency thing. So it's getting back to that chronic acute thing. Would you not be worried that some issues and some investigations wouldn't happen if these cuts go ahead? Yeah, of course, but we can't have everything, you know. And yeah, we have um, we have my former employer, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. We have a much expanded investigations department of the Guardian. We have all these things which are happening. Um, so yeah, if there's a choice between getting news to more people or getting more news to people who already get news, then that's a question which I think doesn't have an easy answer. Well, I mean, for me, it probably does have an easy answer, but you know, we can't have everything. Is it just a, is it a sign that, you know, of, of the changing times, because there is a shrink, shrinking audience, fewer people are watching, maybe fewer people care, but I think it's something that's symptomatic of journalism as a whole, really, but we still need to make sure that democracy is being upheld, that, that you know, that we are targeting the stories that we need to target. I mean, hundred percent. But I don't think I don't think Newsnight is the last kind of foothold again in the fight against democracy. I mean, lots of people will claim that, but I just don't think that's true. There are there are things going on. Yeah, I look. I fully support investigative journalism. It's what I've done. But you know, like I say, we can't have everything. And actually. Are you producing something distinctive? Are you meeting the needs of more people rather than super serving a narrow audience? These are the questions we, we have to ask ourselves with those tricky decisions, which don't have a happy ending. None of them have a happy ending. I was reading an article in The Guardian about um, the issue and uh, a former BBC executive, Roger Bolton, told The Guardian that cutting the budget of Newsnight could damage the entire concept of public service broadcasting and in his view he says the BBC is preparing for a future without the license fee which um, is a very daunting prospect I think. 
well, one of those things is potentially true, but it doesn't follow from the first one. The world is not going to collapse because news, news night doesn't exist. But yeah, the BBC absolutely has to prepare for a world where funding models are going to going to change but yeah one doesn't follow from the other and you will always get i mean essentially it's what you're alluding to in the question there will always be a vocal minority many of whom have power or status in the industry but in all these conversations and actually i'd say the same about the open letter around welsh publishing in that letter readers were mentioned once and not in relation to content. And I just think that in all these conversations, these are kind of bubble conversations which are about protecting journalism for journalism's sake. And there's very little reference to the actual users of our services. And that is something I am constantly astonished about because journalism is a service for consumers, if you want to call them that, I call them users, or actually I call them citizens, because that's why I think uh, journalism is important. But we have to think about their needs in this, not just the needs of us and our friends. I do think there are certain stories, I think that maybe only the BBC or not many others would be inclined to investigate or, or broadcast uh, um, or publish. I think that the BBC does have a really important role in making investigations. And I, and I do hope that the BBC will still be able to delve deep into important and difficult subjects that others might ignore. You can't have everything. We can't have everything we want in terms of news. What we can have is a series of great books. So like the screeching link that I just did there, I'd like to talk about two books in particular. The first of which is uh, The Story Vaur, written by Gwen Byer. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what that book is. Yeah, so it started as a radio series for BBC Radio Cymru. I asked um, prominent journalists from Wales to choose one big story from their career for whatever reason. So um, in the book, uh, we've got Wira Davis talking about how reporting from Libya affected him. Um, he mentions he had PTSD after coming back um, home. Sean Tequin was um, one of the first to start investigating um, the story, which became one of the biggest scandals in, in um, judicial history, the post office scandal. Um, so it just shows how important local journalism is. Um, and we've got Shan Lloyd, how uh, a murder, a brutal murder of a young girl affected her when she reported from the start to finish on that case. And um, Beth Ann Fries Roberts talking about um, reporting from Paris during um, the terrorism attacks there. So we've got a really wide variety of um, stories and the journalists themselves talk really openly about the challenges of doing the reports. And also, you know, someone like Beth Sampoas, she, she describes the exhilaration of um, securing a scoop um, from a war um, in Bosnia. So we've got the difficulties, the challenges, and the pride in, in when a story goes really well. And uh, yeah, they talk really openly. And I think it's a, I think it's a really good read. And it gives, gives readers good insight into what it feels like. Um, to report on a big story. I fully endorse this. I had the pleasure at the Estadvold this year of uh, picking up a copy. Um, fantastic. Thank you very much, Gwenvar. And Sharish, can you tell us a little bit about Cymru and I? Yeah. So this is a partnership with we, we being inclusive journalists in Cymru. So a network I set up for journalists marginalised or excluded by the industry in Wales. I expected it just to be a kind of loose small collection of people providing a little bit of peer support we now have 231 members i don't know if there'd be 231 working journalists in wales we've secured 200,000 pounds of funding over the next three years and we've put on a variety of events to kind of put in place those structural conditions to enable it to be possible for journalists who otherwise wouldn't be journalists or might find it difficult 
to enter the industry. So we had 10 writers, well, nine writers, actually, uh, um, who uh, put in essays for the book. And I said to people at the beginning, I don't mind if this book is terrible because actually it's an opportunity to be published. And when people go to their next job or then put in their next book application, they can say, I've been in this book. Thankfully, it is not terrible. It's absolutely amazing. We've got an incredible variety of people sometimes call them untold stories. I prefer to call them unheard stories because these stories are told. The problem is with who's listening or most importantly, who's not listening. So there are stories of first and second generation migrants, the stories of working class people, there's stories of a dyslexic woman who actually finds it easy to be dyslexic in Karag than she does in um, English because the phonemes are the same, which I didn't know. So real variety of stories, but most importantly, brilliant writing. And in a way, part of the theory of change of inclusive journalism in Cymru is to, to give people the opportunity to get their names out there, to get invited into spaces of power. And a big part of this was, you know, I was on the Public Interest Journalism Working Group. I was on the ex expert panel on the devolution of broadcasting. I was the only person of colour on both of those. And I get called up for a lot of these things. And it cannot and should not just be me who's speaking for everyone who isn't a white middle-class person in Wales. And that is the massive problem in Wales. And so the theory of change is bringing more people into those spaces of power, having more influence, changing the industry at that systemic structural level. And this book is one way of doing that, but has already got those writers' names out there in the world having an impact on the world and telling their stories of Wales and Welshness not all positive but true to life right it's reflecting their experiences and that's what we don't get an awful lot of in the journalism of Wales. Both fantastic books and um, I will include links to both in the show notes. Um, it leaves me just to say thank you both very much for your time. Um, if somebody would like to follow up um, either a conversation or learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Gwenvair, can I pass that to you first? Oh, I'm at Gwenvair underscore on Twitter or on um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, I guess. Great. And Shirish, what is your preferred contact method or information source? So I have a website which is at www.sharishkulkarni.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at SharishMM and on LinkedIn as well. I love the fact we're all still calling it Twitter no matter what Elon <laughs> does. That's absolutely wonderful. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe rate and review.